So, Donald Trump has done it again. He managed to become the center of everyone's attention by not only not conceding Joe Biden's victory for weeks, but also spreading false claims about election frauds. By casting doubts about the American election process and the presidential office itself, Trump undermined the pillars of one of the oldest democracies in the world. How was it even possible? What were his objectives? And what can Biden do about 47% of American voters who supported Trump? In this episode of IMP, I'll be talking about these issues with a leading American scholar in Poland, Anna Pochmara. Anna Pochmara is assistant professor at the Institute of English Studies, University of Warsaw. She's received a Fulbright grant to Yale University and the Polish Minister of Science and Higher Education Award. She's the author of over 30 articles in the field of American studies and co-editor of two volumes on race and ethnicity. At the moment, she's working on an edited volume devoted to the works of James Baldwin and has just completed her book on the uses of temperance and intemperance in late 19th century and early 20th century African-American literature. Both studies will be published in the following months. Finally, she's a coordinator of American Studies Encounters, a series of meetings and lectures on American literature and culture. I'm Bartosz Rutostański. Welcome back to the latest episode of IMP, an official Institute of English Studies podcast channel. I hope you'll enjoy the show. Hi, Anya. We finally get to meet. Yes, yes. Uh, thanks for having me here. Yeah, I'm very pleased you found some time. Um, I've ha- I have uh, three subjects I would like us to discuss today. Um, the first being the no, the American elections. Um, then I would like to talk to you about the latest edition of the American Studies Encounters, uh, this uh, year's series. And uh, finally, I would like to um, end up on uh, your two book projects, one of which is uh, mm, can you, being printed, right? The the book mm-hmm. on James Yes, Baldwin. yes, yes. I have. Uh, I'm done with. Uh, proofreading so the proofs are almost ready and uh it will be out in spring oh great okay uh, no you will tell me more um later but now the the, the major thing the uh american uh, presidential elections so uh biden won trump lost uh but the latter didn't go quite easy did he uh, could you tell me How is it even possible that one man effectively undermines one of the oldest democracies in the world? And second of all, to what end? What's the point of doing all this mess? Uh, Right. So uh, the majority of people, both in the US and the rest of the world, um, agree that Joe Biden won the election. Uh, but as you uh, have mentioned, it's not as simple. And uh, Trump um, Trump filed tons of lawsuits on different levels and got his allies to help him do that. Even though uh, even his Republican allies and most loyal of his supporters knew that um, it would actually um, it wouldn't um, bring any results. 
Um, and on Friday, I think that the Supreme Court has uh, rejected the last uh, of uh, the lawsuits from Texas earlier uh, last week. Um, uh, Pennsylvania's uh, lawsuit was rejected, and these were very harsh, brutal, one sentence, simply denied uh, sort of uh, statements. Um, so uh, now um, most uh, observers claims, claim that he has zero chances of overturning the election. Um, he hoped to, um, he hoped, I guess, that the Supreme Court uh, that now has a conservative majority and three of the judges, three out of nine judges, actually were appointed by Trump, should feel that they owe him and should help him mm -hmm. overturn the, the election. But fortunately, it did not happen. So he did not manage to, uh, to damage the uh, system of checks and balances. And um, hopefully, American democracy will survive Trump. Mm -hmm. Um, even um, the last uh, judge who was appointed, Amy Coney Barrett, who was appointed just weeks before the election, um, did not uh, support uh, the lawsuit, right? So nine out of nine judges denied. Um, uh, even the right to, to file the, the lawsuit by Texas. Um, so, uh, so democracy in the states uh, should be fine, but uh, what uh, I think that most people find uh, unclear is uh, the, uh, in Poland, uh, is uh, the, electoral, the electoral college. Yes, uh, that yes. is the fact that, um, mm -hmm. for example, four years ago, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote but lost the election, right? So, that, so that's really confusing. And uh, yeah. we praise American democracy, but it also, and well, uh, the Supreme Court, it seems, is uh, an institution that works, uh, but uh, the uh, Electoral College is a controversial element of uh, American democracy. Its origins are really um, not that novel. They go back to the, uh, the compromise uh, that has to do with uh, the population of slaves and slavery. Uh, so maybe in a few years we'll see um, uh, the end of the Electoral College, but this year obviously it, uh, it will vote today, right? So today the electors will, will cast their votes yeah. um, and hopefully uh, 306 of them will go to Joe Biden. Great. So uh, the other question I asked is, is what, what was the point of doing these futile attempts, making these futile attempts to, to overturn the, uh, the elections, even though, uh, as you said, uh, maybe not Trump himself, but most of his allies are kind of were aware of, no, the, the pointlessness of of, of going to such lengths, right? So what's the point of it? Uh, well, um, I think that Trump, I, I mean, I'm not in his mind, but he sure. has this huge narcissistic ego. And I think that he really believes that he has a chance, right? That those six judges mm -hmm. at the Supreme Court owe him because he nominated them, right? So mm -hmm. um, so I, I really think he, he believes Oh, he, you think he did believe in in all yeah, right? Yeah, he believed okay. that he has uh, that he had some chances. 
Um, and well, he tries, uh, well, um, he catches at straws now uh, because uh, for him, it's not only about losing the election and not returning to the White House, but uh, once he leaves the White House and the protections that he has as a sitting president, um, all the lawsuits are uh, that um, that uh, have been filed against him and that are going to file uh, to be filed against him uh, mm -hmm. that we know of. Uh, well, um, he will have to face them, right? Um, as a former president, he will probably not be prosecuted for criminal charges, but civil charges and um, the, all the different frauds that um, that he has been accused of. Um, um, so for him, it is, it is really something very serious, right? So, okay, all right. I'm sure you you you, you uh, saw the celebrations in the streets of major American cities. Uh, on the day of, uh, after, the, I mean, the, the day after the elections. Um, but the other day I, uh, I was listening to a lecture um, uh, by Professor Rita Sharon from the Columbia University. And she uh, made a very good point, stating that, <clears throat> okay, we are very happy about Biden winning, but uh, uh, the problem is, and it remains that 45 plus percent of American population did vote for Trump and everything he represents, right? And the thing is, first of all, how is it possible? Uh, and uh, uh, second of all, uh, how to deal with that divide within American society? Anya, what's, what's your view on that? I mean, the first question can be answered. Uh, the second, well, I'm not a political scientist and I'm not a politician, so it, it's a... It's, yeah, but from, like, I kind of know. Uh, the question is really tough to answer. But yes, it's uh, so everyone is happy. Joe Biden will become uh, a president. Kamala Harris will become vice president. Uh, so it's going to be uh, a new era um, beginning with January uh, 2021. But still, as you have mentioned, right, 74 million uh, people voted for Donald Trump, right? And if only white people voted, he would have won. If only men voted, if only people over 65 voted, right? He, it's really... Uh, it's really, really terrifying. And he um, actually, when you compare the results um, with uh, the ones from four years ago, he received nine million, right? We are talking millions here, nine million uh, votes more. Wow. Uh, so it is, it is terrifying. It's, it's a divide that, uh, that we obviously experience every day in Poland as well. Um, the situation in the United States is, is different because of racial um, of course, of diversity, course. right? So um, racial inequality was um, among uh, the priorities for 20% uh, of voters. So it's something that in Poland obviously wouldn't be taken into account. Um, but the, the question why, right? So why white old men, right, uh, voted for Trump? Not only, obviously, not only. Sure. Uh, but in these uh, demographics, he would have won. Um, um, I think that when we, uh, when we in Poland, when we 
think about America, the associations that come to our mind, the first associations are the dominant associations such as freedom, um, democracy, bravery, right? The land of the, the free and the brave. And we do not see this uh, conservative um, no, right, yes. conservative form that they very frequently assume, right? This form of, of brutal individualism, of self-interest, mm. um, and also of uh, gender and racial inequality, right? So a lot of white, uh, white people, white men feel entitled to live uh, the way that they lived in the 1950s. Still, All right. they that's long, a good point. Yes, they long for those days uh, when, uh, as a white male, you could do a really not even a white collar job and be able to support a house in the suburbs, uh, two two cars. Um, your wife would um, would be a homemaker, right? So it would be a housewife, and your children would go maybe to college. Mm, and uh, obviously this was a reality that was affordable, available to only a part of American society, the rest of American society in segregated America in the 1950s um, was forced to live uh, in, mm. in ghettos. Uh, mm, not that a lot has changed since then as far as uh, residential segregation is concerned. Um, but um, in many ways, America is much more conservative, uh, also much more religious than European countries, right? So when we think of Western Europe, of countries such as France, uh, for example, uh, we have this um, we have this uh, secular um, uh, we have the secular tradition that's not as significant in the United States as it is in Europe. On the other hand, we have the countries of the former Eastern Bloc, where communism forced gender equality, right? Kobieta na traktor. So um, I think that we uh, do not appreciate uh, how um, how conservative large sections of American. Uh, Okay, I see. Thank you. This is a very good point. I, I, I haven't thought for a reason, and I don't know uh, about that. Um, okay, let's just leave America. Let's just leave uh, Biden, Trump, and all those conservatives. Um, now, uh, the American Studies Encounters, um, the new series of lectures uh, in this academic year. Anya, um, uh, what can we expect? What are the highlights of uh, this year's series? Uh, right. Uh, so we are expecting uh, several more speakers. Uh, I think two weeks ago we had we um, could listen and um, uh, watch a lecture by um, Walter Metz, um, who is a film scholar. Today, actually, um, uh, we are going to uh, to host uh, Christina Mayer. Um, uh, who is going to talk about American uh, popular culture at the end of the 19th century and uh, yellow journalism. Uh, and then um, a number of speakers um, uh, from both this, the United States, Europe and Poland. Uh, from Poland, we are going to um, to uh, host Edyta Frelik uh, from Lublin, uh, 
uh, who specializes in American art, right. visual culture. Um, this is also uh, the topic that John Michael Werner uh, from Kent State University is going to talk about. Um, and then we'll have a speaker from Spain, um, our uh, Gallego, who is going to talk about African-American culture. Um, and uh, Zabina Zilke from Bonn uh, will most likely to uh, talk about uh, gender studies. And Christina Santiu from Virginia will talk about Native American studies. So um, All right. quite a range of different topics. Right, so your own culture, literature uh, of the United States. Um, right, uh, and uh, is it possible uh, to take part in these events, in these live events? Um, basically, who can take part in those? Is, is it everybody or is it just you know, limited to um, university scholars? Uh, are there any limits? And how can one uh, get the access to a uh, live event? Uh, so uh, the, the series from the very beginning uh, was meant to be open to everybody. Um, obviously, for practical reasons, uh, so far, these have been mostly the students from Warsaw University, mostly from the Institute of English Studies and the American Studies Center. Uh, but it is open. And for example, um, uh, the last lecture by Walter Metz was interesting. Um, the Q&A session was interesting because his students and colleagues from the States participated along our uh, students and faculty. So, uh, so it was, um, it, it was, it's something that um, the pandemic enabled us to do because of Zoom yes. uh, and uh, the ability um, of scheduling uh, these lectures via Zoom. So they are open to everyone and the information about them is uh, available uh, on our website and um, the English uh, Institute website and our uh, Facebook profile. There is a Zoom link. So you basically click the, the okay. link. There is no password. There is just uh, the waiting room. Uh, so uh, you are admitted by the person sharing the, the lecture and mm, Yes, everyone is welcome. Great, I'm I'm, I'm really uh, I, I'm really in favor of this kind of initiatives of opening uh, opening uh, academia to you know everybody, uh, especially like in like as you've mentioned the the pandemic sort of uh, made it even more, more possible, right? more feasible to to um, and for, for wider audiences to access uh, such events like as as, as yours. Great. Yes, uh, yes, and uh, because earlier for financial reasons, it was difficult for us to uh, to uh, invite people from the states who would not come to Poland anyway for some conference. Uh, and now it, it's easy. Uh, so Walter probably wouldn't uh, have come without uh, the pandemic and Zoom. All right, great. Um, okay, now your publications, Anna. Uh, we, you mentioned this uh, this uh, James Baldwin book. Um, just could you just kind of reveal um, what's the I know what's the uh, kind of uh, theme uh, of this book? Uh, and there is the other one, right, that you're working on. Um, tell us all about it, please. Actually, uh, both uh, are finished. So Whoa, I'm, I'm great. A, 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 a happy, happy place. Uh, <laughs> happy place. So, 
yeah, yeah. nicely put. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. Um, so, and they are, uh, I think, I hope that uh, they will be as exciting for the readers as they were for the writers. Uh, so James Baldwin is another volume of our uh, Mistrzowie Literatury Amerykańskiej, uh, a series published by uh, the University of Warsaw Press um, and edited by Marek Parysz and Ewa Łukak. Um, so, um, right, I, I was very happy to be able to uh, invite great uh, scholars uh, from uh, Poland, but also Polish um, Polish uh, speaking uh, scholars from the US. So actually uh, one of the, I don't know, top five James Baldwin scholars is Magdalena Zaborowska. She wrote two, two chapters uh for the book um and another uh scholar is marta marta Fiblerowicz from yale so I, I was really happy also to, to to be able to include um uh, chapters uh by people from the us great i i'm really really excited uh that so many great scholars had the time to to write um, and this this book will be published in in spring Right, by no, the University no. of Warsaw Press. Uh, um, it depends on the review. So it's, oh, okay. um, now it's under review. Uh, the second book will be out in spring. Uh, so it's definitely 2021. Okay, okay. So the second one is? Uh, a few so, more words about this one. Yes, so I, it's a book that has taken about five years, I think. Uh, so it's it's my second book, and um, so it began a long time ago when I was reading a novel by uh, Pauline Hopkins uh, entitled Hagar's Daughter, and it's a crazy novel uh, about white elites uh, after the Civil War in the States. Um, and at the end of the book, so you read the book, it's very melodramatic. Um, uh, there are Right, like uh, combines different uh, different popular genres uh, like romantic novels, uh, mystery novels, and so on. And at the end, there is um, this revelation, as which is very typical for for a melodrama. But the revelation is not who who killed, but the revelation concerns racial identities of all main female characters. That is three main female characters that were introduced to us as white turn out to be black. Oh, right. So we have wow. uh, characters uh, that look white but are classified as African-Americans because uh, in the United States uh, throughout the 19th century and un until today it, it, it works, it, it exerts some influence. We had uh, uh, the one-drop rule according to which in most states you were black if you had any amount of black blood. Um, right, so uh, so I read the novel and it was a really refreshing experience and I was, I don't know, shocked, stunned, and it read as a postmodern novel in a way, obviously I'm very cautious uh, and I would never use the term postmodernist to, uh, to refer to a book published in the late 19th century, but this was my experience of... of mm -hmm. uh, right. Uh, of reading um, and my association. So I started exploring the era. And uh, the late 19th century is um, 
from a historical perspective, uh, it was labeled as uh, the nadir, that is the lowest point in African-American history before the 1960s. There was time to be a black person in the US, right? That, um, uh, the years, um, the years 1876 uh, to, uh, to 1902. Um, and um, it turned out that in this post-reconstruction era, actually there were a lot of novelists who produced uh, very many, very long novels, uh, novels that are interesting from both a literary and political perspective. And these novels were almost completely neglected. Um, so the only writer that actually made it to the uh, to the syllabi was Charles Chestnut um, from the, the corpus that I have analyzed. And the rest of the writers are really not taught, not read, not anthologized. Mostly because many of the novels uh, resemble the, uh, the novel that I introduced. That is Hagar's daughter. It is the, the characters are not visibly black. Mm -hmm. In many novels written at the time, actually racial identity is not revealed at all. So you have this this kind of um, universe depicted where you do not know what race the characters uh, are. And, and again, a bit like in Morrison's, in Toni Morrison's mm -hmm. uh, uh, experimental postmodern, whatever you want to label it, text. Fascinating. Uh, from the 20th and 21st century. Um, so uh, these were not novels that people uh, who founded Black studies, African American studies uh, in the 1960s thought would represent. Uh, African-American tradition very well. They wanted texts like Native Son by Richard Wright, where you have a visibly, uh, uh, visibly Black person, visibly oppressed, visibly resisting, um, and limited very clearly, very clearly oppressed, right, by the, uh, the social uh, racist uh, circumstances. Um, and in the novels that I analyze, this is not really, uh, this is not really the case. The politics is much uh, more subtle, um, but it is present there. So for example, the very fact that uh, we have so many mulatta characters and mulatto characters, uh, from the point of view of uh, the 1960s, where you, it, you know you were supposed to be proud because you're black, right? There was this uh, right uh, black power, black arts movement. A character that was a mulatta did not really uh, did not really work very well with that paradigm. But in the late 19th century, it was a very um, a, a very powerful political statement to use emulate Africa because we have this height of segregation. Uh, so to show uh, romantic relationships between white and black people at the time when so many mostly black men were lynched for um, frequently imagined um, by, by the white community offenses against white femininity. Uh, was 
um, a, a radical thing to write about, right? So uh, later we we sort sort of uh, critics uh, uh, stopped um, appreciating the political significance of the novel, which was acknowledged by the writers in the nineteenth century, yeah, sure. right? Um, also, these were melodramatic novels, popular novels, so uh, people interested in high modernism would not really pay much attention to them. All right. Well, this this sounds like a very fascinating book. I'm really looking forward to reading it. Uh, in spring, you're saying. Okay, I'm I, I'm I'm going to be the the first to line up for uh, for the copy. Anya, thank you very much for meeting with me again. Uh, that was a fascinating talk. And, uh, well, I wish you uh, all the best uh, and, uh, well, take care. All right. Thank you again for having me. It was great. Uh, great to talk uh, to you. Uh, so hope to see you soon, maybe in person. That's right. Yes. That's fingers crossed. Bye-bye. That's it for today. My thanks go to my guest, Anna Pochmara, for a fascinating conversation, Robert Zmijewski for his technical support, and to you, who listen to us wherever and whenever you are. Please tell your friends about IMP if you like our show. Goodbye and good luck.